Hello, America, and all parts of the world listening into the Seven Innings podcast this week as we get closer and closer. The mayhem is just around the corner on the road to the Women's College World Series. We've got all the legends. We've got all the big names. Jimmy Softball's here today. BMO, Bro, Scarborough, Smitty, the cool cat with the bat, and Doza as well making an appearance because we got a big lineup coming your way. Hope you got your lineup card uh, to join in uh, at seven innings podcast on Twitter and the gram. And of course you can find our uh, podcast. Well, if you're listening, you know where it is. We're going to talk third assistant. That's a big deal this week. That is in the leadoff spot. Uh, we lost a legend of the game. Uh, Smitty's going to talk about Ralph Raymond uh, um, and take the lead on, on one of the all time greats in our sport. Uh, big shakeup in the RPI. The National Player of the Year list is out. And, of course, we'll shag and uh, we'll, we'll get some James in our Gimme the Jimmy segment. But let's open things up with the uh, discussion about a third assistant coach for college baseball and college softball um, and a vote that was turned down. The Division I Council voted down. Uh, the opportunity for baseball and softball to add a third coach. And essentially, it was a proposal that called for an option to add a coach. You would not have been required to pay, uh, to make a third coach a paying position. You would simply have the option to do that. Um, and that proposal was turned down. A lot of baseball coaches and a lot of softball coaches very disappointed about that vote, and I'm sure it's not the last that we've heard of it, although there is usually a two-year wait for a proposal to come back around. So, Jess Mendoza, we're going to have you in our leadoff spot here. I know you've been talking to a lot of coaches um, about this vote, and, and what are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like what's disappointing, not only about the vote for both baseball and softball, I mean, this is something that's that's been needed. Um, you know, and even on the baseball side, they've been – proposing this. Uh, Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, I mean, he's tracking down every single school that said, no, that's how big of a deal this was. But I think the disappointing thing that stood out to me, Beth, was the fact that softball was the crutch on why athletic directors chose to not do this. So that message, and we hear that a lot, even with Title IX, oh, because of women's sports, you know, we can't, you know, this is why we have to cut baseball or cut men's wrestling, or this is, this is the reason that a lot of ADs are giving for why this vote didn't happen. That's like a punch in the gut because truthfully to me, that is such an easy excuse. That's, that's something to me for athletic directors and schools. I mean, take Texas, for example, they have a $215 million a year is their budget. And they, Crystal Connie, his reason that he gave was because softball, the financial decision because of softball, they could do it because of baseball. Now, Beth, to your point, they don't even have to pay that position. Of course we want them to, but it's not, it's a choice. They don't even have to add it. So if it was such a big deal, then, then don't have your school do it, but vote for it to be because it's the right thing to do. And it honestly allows that third assistant, the thing that stands out to me is it allows that third assistant, which for softball, most cases is their grad assistant, it allows them to actually coach. Right now, as the rule stands, that graduate assistant, they can't even speak to players about yeah. the game. I mean, they can't, they can fungo, they can bullpen catch, they can't recruit, they can't actually have a significant impact. And these are our young coaches fresh out of college trying to figure out, is this a career that I want to do? And I mean, I get fired up about it because I want to see more women in coaching and I want to see more of our best athletes turn into good coaches. 
And the way to do that is to have this third assistant be there. And I, I get fired up because a lot of ADs fell on the fact that, well, you know, softball doesn't need it. It's 2019, people, and we're still talking about the fact that softball is holding back a men's sport. And if you talk to any of the baseball programs, they don't feel that way. They want it to be across the board. It's just I feel like most programs don't want to do it, period, and they use softball as the crutch. Yeah. I, I would agree. You know, the uh, a lot of stuff has come out this week. The, they basically voted as conferences, and the, PAC fi- uh, the, uh, the Power Five was really driving the bus here. The SEC and Greg Sankey, they were really pushing for this. They kind of led the way on it. SEC, ACC, and Pac-12 all said, yeah, this is a great idea. Big 10 and Big 12 did not. Uh, they did not um, uh, want to move forward on this. So that's uh, kind of where it, it landed. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a shame because, like you said, these are a lot of young voices in our game that are, are the most relatable to today's player. It's it's for the good of these programs. It's for the good of these student athletes to be able to coach and um, to be able to lead and to be able to get out and recruit. I think that's a big deal for a lot of these coaches too. And it would have been really great um, to get them some healthcare and, and some benefits in, in our game. And that was the other disappointing thing for me too is, you know, uh, some of the stuff I, I read was, well, you know, this this would have been great for a lot of married guys who have to support yeah. a family. Yes, it would have, but not because they have to support a family, but because they're a darn good coach. And so are a lot of partners, and so are a lot of single men, and so are a lot of single women. Um, and, and so give them an opportunity to coach and recruit and take care of themselves and take care of, of the people around them because they're good coaches first and foremost. Yeah. And it'll never be able to be a decision that's baseball only. I mean, that's the thing is then it was like, well, let's vote it again without softball. That, that, that isn't, that isn't an option. And, and to be honest, if that was ever an option, I've heard that, Oh, we'll do softball later. Are you kidding me? (laughs) If you separated softball, there's no chance ever, even in 50 years that there would be a softball only vote for an athletic department to give them money on its own. I mean, a lot of the things that we do get admittedly is because of baseball, because baseball pushes for it. And that budget allows softball when we're talking facilities, stadium, if, if there wasn't the men's sport there to drive, drive it for us, we wouldn't have all of the amazing stuff that softball has. And I'm grateful for that, but this is why, you know, it's so important for softball to be with baseball in this vote. And, and Jess and Beth, isn't it about the athletes? I mean, aren't we trying to develop young men and women? So more coaches gives more personal time with the individual athletes. So it's about giving them what they need to develop on and off the field. And then, and secondly, Jess, the, the point that you made about the programs that did not want to support it. You know, my whole thing is if you don't want to support it, fine but vote for it so that those that do want to support it can do it. Don't limit other people just because you don't want it. To me, that's short-sighted and uh, very inward looking instead of outward looking to try to grow the sports. Yeah, that was the one thing that stuck out to me when researching this is that I didn't know that um, you were not required to hire one. It wouldn't be mandated, but what these ADs are scared of are looking bad and, and they don't 
they don't actually put the effort into getting that um, that other assistant, and they look bad because if you know if Texas doesn't do it, but Texas Tech does do it, then Texas looks bad because Tech did do it. But I, I was thinking, you guys, and Michelle, to your point about talking about um, just the amount of time that these coaches get with the players and their development. Women's basketball and men's basketball have about what fifteen to eighteen players on their roster, somewhere around there, and they have three assistants. Now, softball, some of the rosters that we're seeing whenever. We we do uh, go to these schools, they're hitting 25, 26 players. So the rosters are growing in softball more than they ever have before, mainly due to, um, I think, growing pitching, extra pitchers on the pitching staff, I think is one side of it, but you need to be able to develop them. And also, I think one thing to think about is that we have slappers, which is a different skill. So you might have a pitching coach and a hitting coach and a defensive coach, but there's also this other skill that softball brings to the table. And Kayla, you know about that is um, a, a different skill set to be able to work with a slapper. The other thing, too, with this is that volunteer position right now, they get paid basically for um, helping run the camps in the in the offseason. And, and what will become of those camps and, and the opportunities for young people um, around the sport as we, as we continue to move, move forward and continue to grow and continue to gain popularity? The, the, the ratings for both co- College World Series are up, and, and the excitement is there. So – uh, that that would be a huge deal to to have added that, and I think a missed opportunity. Yeah, and Beth, last point for me was just, I mean, you get a team, you know, when I look at the schools in the 80s that said no, I mean, for baseball on the baseball side, Oregon State won the entire thing, the World Series last year. Yeah. And then yeah. athletic director Scott Barnes said no. I mean, that that to me, it makes sense when a school like Cal says no. I mean, they weren't even going to have a baseball team a few years ago. They're being funded by, like, the players. So I get it. Like, they're like, no. I mean, shoot, we can't even we can't even afford a program. So that makes sense to me. But when you get, you know, schools like Texas Tech and you, you get Texas with their $215 million budget and then you get Oregon State, which you're on the highest of highs of any time to support your programs, Lorberg, the softball program, and then Pat Casey on the baseball side. They just won the whole thing. And then you're still saying no. I feel like it's a slap in the face to just the sport both of them yep that's it's going to be a discussion certainly that will continue in in the coming weeks and and especially uh when the coaches all get together in the coming months and and we'll see where it goes but the third assistant coach uh turned down by the division one council moving on in our uh, um lineup card you can follow along on uh the at seven innings podcast on Twitter. We love taking your questions as well. Uh, but Michelle Smith, you had a chance to play for Ralph Raymond um, at the Olympics. He was our first Olympic coach and uh, just a legend uh, of the game around the, the old Ray Bestos breakettes. And um, uh, we lost a legend of the game, but his, his memory Smitty certainly lives on. Yeah. BMO, he was an amazing coach, amazing manager, amazing people uh, person, um, I, I wrote down some statistics because it really is mind-boggling with the Ray Bestis break-ets. He, had, he won 1,992 games, lost just 162. 18 national titles, was the head coach of the 1996 and 2000 Olympic teams. Um, USA Softball had a 974 winning percentage, 332 victories uh, to just nine losses. And this is a man that was just such a great person. I mean, we would say the Hail Mary before every game. He would never, he always treated us um, like women said, I'll never take a spoon or a fork out of your mouth. In other words, if you had an opportunity to go make money or go somewhere that was going to help benefit you, he supported it a hundred percent. 
you know, just never heard him say a cuss word. In fact, he wouldn't even say hell. He would always say H-E-2 sticks. I mean, he was just, he was just amazing with, all, and think about how many frustrating times you've been in a softball game where it just, something wants to pop out and n- never, ever, uh, just an amazing individual. And, you know, the thing that I loved about him is that he treated us like professionals. He allowed us to be the professional athlete that we were. He coached us to a point. He managed us immensely. And so, you know, a lot of that is being a mature athlete and going out and training on your own and knowing what you need to do on your own to be the best version of you. He allowed that to happen. He didn't micromanage us. He just, he would point out things if he saw that, you know, maybe we weren't doing something right, but he was not afraid to delegate and say, Hey, you know, you need to go hit more. You need to pitch more. Maybe you're pitching too much or you're hitting too much, you know, take some time away. Love to play cards, um, had the team together all the time. So the people really got to know each other and enjoy each other. And just a legend in the sport. It was truly an honor to play with him and against him. Uh, and he will be truly missed. The, uh, the old school coach that he was proud of being um, will be sorely missed in our sport. Yeah, Smitty. I mean, I feel like I, I was jealous that you got to play for him because I, I feel like the moment I made the team, all I heard about because I was on the, the next generation with Mike Candrea and, you know, listening to you and Lisa Fernandez and Dot Richardson talk about Ralph. Um, I mean, think about it. I, you know, as a kid, I, he was the first Olympic coach. Yep. I mean, of all the things that he ever did, I mean, he made history within our game and the pinnacle of, of our biggest event, you know, in 1996, watching him lead, you know, all of you women, you know, out here on our home turf. And just even then, I remember being around him and getting around him and you would just get that like, oh my gosh, like you thought like if he could just see you in that moment, you would make the Olympic team. I mean, that was like the power <laughs> of Ralph Raymond. And I, I just feel like, you know, the fact that he's a legend because of everything he did, but also to me, the women that I idolized and looked up to, Smitty, you being one of them, the way that you would talk about him. Um, I mean, that's what coaches do. I mean, they are Sharpie in our life. They are permanent influence in who we are, who we become and how we are as women and how we are as players. Players. Yeah. And so I think about Ralph Raymond and ultimate influence is the best athletes that we've ever seen. He got to coach. Yeah. Um, so that I, I just I remember the stories. I mean, all all ends of the spectrum. <laughs> what made him so great, you know, is it wasn't just the coaching stuff, but the jokes and the how you'd sneak away to go work out, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly stories. I mean, it was endless. I felt like we'd stay up late on buses and just talk about Ralph Raymond. And I mean, I would listen. And um, that to me is what stands out is him being the very first, but also the influence he had on the most impactful women that we've had in the sport. I remember there were Olympic festivals leading up to that 1996 opportunity in the Olympics. And I was able to participate in those. And Ralph Raymond was my head coach and Mike Candrea was his assistant. And I think of those times where he was passing the torch, maybe not in the moment, but being the example, not just to us as players, where we put him on a pedestal, knowing that he was evaluating us in every aspect but also being able to mentor and show the next Olympic coach down the road exactly what needed to be done to not only win gold, but lead these women to excellence. And so for me, being able to play for both of them at the exact same time on the field, I had to face Smitty. So that's probably one of the reasons I didn't make the Olympic team. But at the same time, (laughs) being able to play for both of those iconic men in our sport, just 
an experience of a lifetime. And I just was in awe of watching him in that in the dugout. And I just followed him around, recognizing the importance that he held in my future in the Olympic Games. Yeah. Uh, sad to see him go. But uh, I, I think we're uh, we're all pretty uh, assured, Smitty. He uh, he's not an he double toothpicks. He's in softball heaven right, right now, and <laughs> and uh, and looking down on us with a big old smile on his face. The other guy we talked about, Mike Candre, is still around, still going strong. Thirty plus years at Arizona. Let's move into our our weekend review. And the Cats are rolling twenty in a row, uh, ladies, and they are right now in first place in the Pac-12. They are still hitting a ton of home runs out there. Uh, Harper and Mulipola, both with 20-plus. So uh, let's do our weekend review, really. Arizona, Alabama, Oklahoma rolling along right now. Um, and and uh, how about them cats? Why don't we start out with uh, the cool cat with the bat, Jenny? I tell you what, they are really hitting on all cylinders. I was curious to see how Deja Mulipola would be able to respond to her being – named to the USA team and if that would play into any kind of hiccups when she got to collegiate ball, knowing that there would be a big weight on her shoulders, but she has responded so well, has been a leader behind the plate, has been able to swing the bat so well and just be a leader for Arizona. For me, her, Jesse Harper, big home run hitters, and then add in Alyssa Palomino, who is able to come back, be strong, play the outfield, Arizona right now doing such a great job. And then in the circle, I know, Amanda, you were able to see um, what they were able to do. You were impressed with what they were able to bring at pitching-wise. Yeah, of course, with Taylor McQuillan, the senior lefty, who I think is going to be an All-American this year. And then Alyssa Denham seems to have really developed. She's a junior for them, came over from Louisiana last year. But um, And here's here's how they finish with their schedule. This is what I'm looking at. They play Cal, Washington, and then UCLA. Ooh, so yeah. they finish it pretty strong. I mean, that UCLA-Arizona series in LA is going to be crazy. Uh, but they need to continue to take care of business. Like uh, going up against Cal this weekend, there's no room for error when you, when you have a team like UCLA. CLA in your conference, and then, of course, Washington, too. So they have to continue to take care of business. They're beating the teams that they need to beat right now, which is always important. Um, so that's what I'm looking at is, is can they take care of business first against Cal, and then you can worry about those bigger series later with Washington and UCLA. What do you think, Kayla? Honestly, Amanda, you mean you took the words right out of my mouth. I was, you know, you wonder, you're facing a team like Stanford, who's at the middle of the pack in the Pac-12. They're starting to move up, starting to get some traction with Jessica Allister, and they go outscore them 29-2, two run rule victories, completely take care of business. And again, you wonder, are you overlooking some of those, you know, bottom of the half of the half packed schools because you have UCLA and Washington come up? And I think the Stanford series was a really good indication that they are not overlooking anyone right now. Are they the best team in the pack? Jimmy. I think that last series will really be the thing that tells us that lat it's to me, obviously it played during a time when that UCLA Arizona rivalry was so yeah. intense, but I think it's back. I think this year is the year that the Arizona UCLA of old is back in effect. How will Rachel Garcia come back yeah. and really just attack Arizona? And then how does Arizona hit her? I really think it comes down to old school Arizona UCLA. I think they're playing the best right now. Having seen Arizona and UCLA, I think pretty much in back-to-back weekends, I felt like Arizona was clicking more than UCLA. Now, UCLA is still very talented. Of course, they have Rachel Garcia. But to me, I thought that Arizona was playing more completely than what I've seen out of UCLA as of late. 
and and don't forget before they get to UCLA they have to play Washington so that that those last two weekends will be huge for the Cats winners of 20 in a row uh Smitty you and I were with um the Alabama Florida series and real impressed by the tide they go into Gainesville and for the first time since 2001 they sweep Florida their pitching was dominant and uh, and they got the big boppers going a little bit. Yeah, and you know when, when it doesn't matter if you're talking about Alabama, Arizona, Oklahoma, any of these schools that are just streaking right now and that are doing really well. Uh, it, it, all facets of their game are firing on all cylinders, and Alabama can run like the wind. I love to watch them. They're aggressive. If there's one thing that they did, they took Florida, who was the number one defense in the country and got them out of their rhythm, got them out of their defensive mindset and mojo and took extra bases, had them not covering when they should have been covering bases. So I love the fact that Alabama right now has some good young arms in the circle, Montana Fouts, but Sarah Cornell, amazing with her rise ball. They're just complete all the way around, and Bailey Hemphill's bashing the ball. So Kayla, what do you say about the Tide? Hey, you know, I think you like when you see a team like in Alabama that's starting to climb the ranks in the country, you look like, why are they such a complete team? And I, you know, you clearly have it in the circle, like you said, clearly have the big hitters. But I was so impressed with the bottom of the lineup. Skylar Wallace and KB Sides, a freshman and a sophomore, to me, looked like the emotional leaders on the team that weekend, got things done, got things started, and were not afraid to go toe-to-toe with Kelly Barnhill. And I think that's what Alabama was missing last year. A huge piece was finding some consistency through the lineup of people that aren't going to stall the offense. And they are the opposite. They are like fighters fire starters on the bottom and they turn the lineup over they know their job and they brought the emotion to Gainesville I loved it well and when they're hitting like that Kayla on defense there's no time to breathe like it's just you're either going up against power and you're worried about it or you're going up against speed or a ball like that KB size is going to put on the ground and so to me the past couple of weekends I'm noticing people are panicking on defense against Alabama so you see how Florida played defensively you see how Georgia played defensively the weekend before but also to point out this is a huge resume builder weekend for Alabama and the fact that they got three top 10 wins they had only had one before for that and that was against Arizona so to be able to build up their resume at the end of the season really prove and solidify themselves as like a top three top four team super important all right guys same question are they the best in the SEC yeah I say yes they're, they're playing like it right now yeah, I agree. And, and again what I love about just like we were talking about the Pac-12 they yeah. close out the season down on the bayou against LSU so a huge weekend that could decide that's first place and second place right now in the SEC uh, I'm Beth Mowens. We've got uh, Michelle Smith, Jessica Mendoza, Amanda Scarborough, Caleb Bro, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Jim Piscatelli, a.k.a. Jimmy Softball. This is the Seven Innings Podcast. Let's talk a little Boomer Sooner right now. 31 wins in a row. We knew the big test was coming with Texas, and they passed it with flying colors and a little help from a stolen home base to take out Texas and continue to streak and uh, now, now again, it's going to come down perhaps to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Bedlam Woo! to determine to determine whether or not OU can keep the streak alive going into the postseason. Well, uh, you know, Bedlam is always a battle, um, but the fact that Oklahoma State is a much better team this year is going to make that series even better. But I, w- I want to point out one thing about Oklahoma at Texas. Sydney Romero, did you see before the stolen home base, did you see when she slid in, swiped the plate the way she got up and she 
the fire in her eyes to her teammates. She was like, let's go. I mean, that fire, that pump, even though they're on this massive win streak, they want it. And that leadership. That's what was missing, Smitty. Remember last year at the World Series? Absolutely. And when I saw that, I thought, boy, I think we're going to end up seeing this team in the championship series if they can continue to continue to play with that fire. Amanda, what do you say? Well, I saw the exact same thing, different level in everything, like an intensity on defense, intensity in the dugout and intensity with every swing with how they got excited about things. That senior class is not scared to lead. They want to lead. They want to be thrown into the fire. They want to play in the big games. And so with Sydney Romero being the senior class, and of course, Clifton being another big leader for their team as well. I love to see her lead. I'm super impressed, but it's bleeding to the freshmen. Grace Lyons and Grace Green are the real deal. Like they are women as freshmen. They do not play like freshmen. They look like seniors and they are so much fun to watch. Um, And so the new faces just period that they added with the Graces and then Shannon Salen, G. Juarez, huge difference makers for them. What about you, Kayla? What do you think? Yeah, well, I was just looking at it. You know, Mike White knows G. Juarez and they got two wins against a coach that's seen her, four players that have mm-hmm. seen her pitch in Pac-12 play when she was at Arizona State and they were obviously at Oregon. So I think it's really impressive that despite maybe having a pretty strong scouting report, maybe stronger than most teams face against G. Juarez, they were outstanding. I mean, they conquered Texas. They conquered going on the road. That place was packed. They had a lot of energy and they matched it. And I was just really impressed overall. Like you said, the shortstop plays by Grace Lyons were unbelievable. It fired me up as a a former player to see somebody that was going to go lay their life on the line to go finish the game (laughs) and make the play. And I was all about it. It was really impressive. And and a little perspective from the archives, ladies and gentlemen, the last, oh, so they tied the uh, school record 31 wins in a row that ties the record from 2016, and it took a Herculean effort to end it because it was ended in the Champ Series Game 2 on Tiffany Howard's catch for Auburn and Emily Carasoni's Grand Slam to walk it off to force Game 3, which Oklahoma bounced back to win. That is the school record that they have just tied with 31 wins in a row and still counting for the Sooners uh, solidly in at number one in the rankings. Of course, not only do we have the polls, but this time of year we have the RPI. And there was quite a shakeup, Amanda Scarborough, around the top 10 in the RPI and some big movers and a couple of droppers as well. Yeah. I mean, I opened up the RPI and I was like, what am I looking at right now? Because there was so much movement from the weeks before. I just continue to expect to see Florida State at number one because that's where they had been, even when they had lost a couple of games. So I thought that they'd still be there. But Florida State dropping from one to six was the first thing that I noticed. And then staying within the ACC, how UNC moved up 11 spots. I think they're around 25, 26 right now for their series win against Florida State, making a big statement there. And um, UNC can continue to move up too because they go up against Louisville this weekend, which would be a really good series within the ACC. But those are the two biggest things that stood out to me. What else did you guys see in the RPI? Yeah, Amanda, I I, I was amazed by a lot of it too. I think um, we're starting to see some of the mid-majors really start to, uh, to move up. That's going to be a big part of it because there's a push for those mid-major teams to obviously get more of those um, at-large bids when it comes out to a 
to the time when the selection committee makes uh, hands out those those open bids. So I think that that's a big part of it. But I'm always interested in the bubbles, the the seven, eight, nines, and the 14, 15, 16, 17, yes. 18s, because those are the hosts, right? Who's going to be able to host supers? Who's going to be able to host a regional? Um, Oklahoma State is is right in there, South Carolina, believe it or not. Homer. I know, I know Homer. Homer again. Um, Homer. Sorry, did, did I do that? Did I, I did do that. Uh, Eskimo Joe. <laughs> but interesting enough, as as okay, and I think Tim Walton would say, "Hey, we have not really been firing on all cylinders." As as rough as their season has been for Florida, they're a nine RPI. They potentially will host a regional and potentially. If they finish the right way, their last six games and maybe even in the SEC tournament, they could potentially host a super as well. Interesting stuff, yeah. Demo. So the super, the supers bubble right now. LSU and Alabama have the seven and eight RPI. Florida and Northwestern are nine and ten. Shout out, by the way, yeah. to Northwestern, still in first place and still undefeated in the that Big Ten. That was my 10, sleeper. Which right now. Oh, uh, sorry. They got they got three schools in the top sixteen RPI, Jimmy, with Northwestern, Minnesota, and Michigan. Again, RPI is not the only criteria, but it's a big one. And then your regional host bubble, Ole Miss and Kentucky, right now are in. Oklahoma State and South Carolina are just out, and Auburn is right there with them. A big series for Auburn this weekend, hosting Florida. So, little RPI shakeup and uh, some host bubble conversation for us. Uh, number five on your lineup cards, a new segment that we've got this week. Um, as you know, sometimes we have uh, mechanical and technical issues. Sometimes we have travel issues and sometimes we're just getting old. And so <laughs> number five on your lineup card is where was Jenny? It's a new segment because the cool cat with the bat needed about 10 minutes before we started a podcast to remember where she was last weekend. So that's, I think that's a good place to start our, our whip around. Where were you? Where are you going? What did you see? What are you excited to see? Jenny? Okay, so this is classic. Okay. I was on a 10-day road trip. I went out west. I did the Auburn, South Carolina series, flew out west, watched BYU play Washington, then flew to Arkansas and watched the LSU-Arkansas series, flew home and watched all three games of the Kentucky-Auburn series. So I've been a lot of places Humble and brag. I really couldn't Humble remember brag. which game I called. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... It, it did take me a while to remember, but this next weekend I am heading out to Ole Miss to watch the Tennessee oh. Ole Miss series. And for me, this is going to be a great one. Tennessee has had a lot of movement since they oh. lost Allie Shipman after 22 games into the season. And because of that loss, they are still seeing a lot of defensive shifts. They haven't settled into a consistent defensive lineup. They committed five errors this last weekend, and they've only thrown out one base stealer all year. So for me, that's a tough one because they go against Ole Miss, who loves to run. Yeah. Ole Miss has absolutely dominated on the bases. They've got 99 stolen bases. They've fin- they figured out a little bit more power than last year, 34 home runs, and they've only and that, allowed that- 11 stolen bases out of 19 opportunities. So they've won every SEC series. For me, this is a big one. They sit back to back in the SEC standings at three and four. So I think whoever wins this series really potentially could earn a first round buy in the SEC tournament. And and remember too, the top four seeds get a buy in the SEC tournament. So let's go to bro. Uh, Kayla, where were you? Where are you headed? What are you seeing out there on the road to the women's college world series? 
Yeah, I was in Lexington, Kentucky. I saw Auburn, Kentucky, and it was a statement victory for the Wildcats. They had a senior class that had beaten everybody in the SEC at least once throughout their careers. They had yet to beat Auburn, and what do they do on their senior weekend? They go sweep the Tigers. It was just a really impressive win. Jenny Shaper, the SEC Player of the Week, had three home runs was incredible, not only behind the plate, but at the plate as well, just set the tone for the team. And I was just really impressed with how they responded after losing their series last week. And then uh, next weekend, I get to go to Stark Vegas and uh, check out Missouri and Mississippi State. A lot of good offense there. Uh, Jasmine Rollin for Missouri is up for freshman of the year. She's really talented, uh, hits in the leadoff spot for Mizzou. And then, of course, the Thunder and the Lightning. Mia Davidson and Fale Lua from yeah. Mississippi State. Kayla, Kayla, is that a mic'd up Monday? It is not a oh, mic'd up Monday. I was going to say, Van oh. mic'd up would have been an uh, interesting oh my God, Monday yeah, night. Epic, epic. <laughs> I think mic'd up is uh, we've been talking. Uh, we've been Joe Evans at A&M. Station yeah. mic'd up. Oh, at A and M. Ah, we've been talking about that Missouri schedule. Very good for the Tigers down the stretch, and they are taking advantage of it. I wouldn't at all be surprised. If um, when everything uh, finishes out, they're right there in the conversation for a buy potentially and a top four team in the league. An incredible job um, that Coach Anderson is doing there. Yeah. What about you, Amanda? Where you been? Where you going? Yeah. So last weekend I was in Athens, Georgia, not Greece, unfortunately, oh. and uh, they were playing. Georgia was playing Tennessee, and what stuck out to me was that Tennessee, at one point to at the beginning of the series, was in second place in the SEC, looking like that they could. This could be a big weekend for them. They could make a move on Alabama and hang in there with LSU. And Tennessee just looked really off. And in Game Three, the Weeklies made a lot of defensive changes. They were shuffling around everybody. They looked a little bit just panicky with the way that they were shuffling. Everybody around defense and offense they weren't swinging the bat well except for Haley Bearden who had a couple of home runs actually but in game three hit a foul ball back into her helmet and had to come out of the game so their big offensive weapon in the rubber match in game three had to come out of the game and just really to me stalled out their offense on the other side of things Georgia looked like a completely different team than how they played against Alabama the weekend before they looked better on defense and hitting one through nine in their lineup so ironically I get to cover Georgia again this weekend against South Carolina. And and what I'm looking for is to see Georgia just continue to play consistently. They're not going to be able to host a regional. I think that that's aware, but continue to find consistency in the circle, find consistency at the plate and be able to have other people step up besides Alyssa DiCarlo, who's their big name. Um, and then finally for South Carolina right now, they're sitting in 18 RPI. They have a chance to still host a regional. Yeah. They have to finish out the rest of the SEC strong. And that will include going up against Georgia and, and making a series win, maybe a sweep, and continue to um, try to find a spot with hosting a regional. Remember, they were the nine national seed last year and made a lot of uh, noise in the SEC. They're going to continue to build on that and still make their way into a regional to host it. And then, Smitty, we've got two teams that right now are headed in the wrong direction. At, at one point a couple weeks ago, Auburn was in first place. Um, and right now, both Auburn and Florida struggling to find their way offensively. Yeah, and um, just like Amanda made the point that, 
UGA looked much better after the uh, Alabama series. I think Florida is going to look much better after the Alabama series. And I think for both those clubs, because they're not playing Alabama, but uh, going into Auburn, um, both clubs that are struggling to hit the ball. Auburn did not hit the ball against Kentucky. Florida did not hit the ball against Alabama. Um, So it'll be interesting to see whose bats wake up. And RPI ramifications as well in this, because as we mentioned, Florida's a nine RPI, Auburn's a 19 RBI. So both on bubbles, you know, if, if Auburn makes a good run at the end of the season, could they host a regional? I mean, it's a great place to play softball. They've got good fan support. So it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting, but I look for the pitchers to, uh, to, to really kind of own this series. All right. That's our whip around. And uh, we'll be back with another segment of where was Jenny perhaps on the show <laughs> next week. Jimmy, Jimmy softball, BMO bro, Kuka with the bat, Smitty Scarborough Doza with you on the seven innings podcast. Another new segment for you. Number seven in the lineup. It's time for a group hug or a group of five hug, if you will, and give some of the smaller schools a little bit of love. I'm going to give a big old hug right now to the Spartans of USC Upstate. And in particular, Alyssa Oaks, who we've talked about, is in the home run chase nationally, as well as the RBI chase, uh, 20-plus home runs. She's pushing 70 ribs. And uh, we've talked a little bit about a great pitching name, Christina Biggerstaff. All name team, uh, all name team. Yes, all-name team, getting close to 25 wins. She just picked up her seventh Big South Pitcher of the Week award. They find themselves right now two games behind Longwood for first place in the Big South. Who's next? I'll go. I'm not going to give you one team. I'm going to give you a bunch because uh, since we're getting close to uh, tournament selection time, these are five conferences that have automatic bids, and here's their leaders. American East, UMass Lowell with an 11-0 conference record. The Atlantic 10, Fordham with four, a 14-3 record. Big Sky is uh, Weber State with a 12-1 conference record. The SoCon. They, that's Samford with 10 and 4. And then this one's for Jenny. The West Coast Conference, BYU leads the West Coast Conference right now. What? Wow. Wowzers, wowzers. Uh, well, I'm going to jump in then. And I'm going to go with the uh, University of South Florida. And uh, they are 35 and 15. Um, uh, Georgina Korik, their ace pitcher, has just been outstanding. She's 20 and 3, 160 innings pitch, 209 Ks. A whip under one, an ERA under one. So she's been doing a great job of uh, keeping them in games and, and picking up the victory. So USF doing doing a lot of good, and uh, I look uh, look to see them go somewhere in the postseason as well. Yeah, Michelle, she has a chance, I think, of being named to the top 25 finalists for National yeah. Player of the Year that will come out today on Wednesday. So we'll look forward to seeing that list. Another pitcher that might be on that list is a pitcher from Drake coming out of the Missouri Valley Conference is Nicole Newman. She's a redshirt senior, and Drake is 19-1 and within the Missouri Valley Conference. Nicole has 21 wins and a .94 ERA, and opponents are only hitting 115 against her. And now why I like her is not just because she's performed this year, but going back to last year as well, she at a .89 ERA and 22 wins. And this is a Drake team that went to the Eugene Regional and made a lot of noise. I remember the Oregon coaching staff talking a lot about Nicole Newman, being a little bit worried about her, seeing her on film, talking about how good she is. So you all know that, you know, whenever you have a solid pitcher in the arm, they can take you a long way. So this Drake team has postseason experience and they're going to be looking to make a, a big statement in Nicole Newman's last season. Kayla, what do you think? 
It's a good one, Amanda. Um, I uh, I'm gonna shout out Boise State right now. They're receiving votes in the polls right now. They're 29 and nine. Uh, I think their offense is what's really strong. They're batting 336 as a team. They're led by Cora Wade, who's batting 420 right now, and seven hitters in their lineup are above 300. So I think when you have a team that has a little bit of offensive firepower, it's kind of an interesting setup for a regional potentially. And, and and did you did you see Boise had had a twenty two to ten win over New Mexico Ooh. on Saturday? Seven home runs from seven different players. Wow. Also, also a shout out to Harvard versus Yale. Big series coming up this weekend in the Ivy League. Uh, the Crimson led by Tegan Sean, Katie Duncan, Yale, uh, Olivia Vineyard, and Sydney Grubman. So uh, if you happen to be up in uh, the Northeast Quarter this weekend, check out Harvard, Yale, always entertaining. And brothers don't shake hands, sisters don't shake hands, sisters got a hug. It's a group five <laughs> hug right there in the seventh spot in the lineup. <laughs> Dropping a little Tommy Boy knowledge to lead us into shagging some stats, Jimmy. This week on Shagging Stats. All right, who's what? Uh, you want me to take the lead on this one? I'll take the lead on this one. Here we go. We talked about Oklahoma's 31-game winning streak, the longest streak in college softball history, 62 in a row by Cypress College in California, the longest D1 in a row, 47, by the cool cat with the bat, Arizona Wildcats, over two seasons in 1996, they won their last 17 games. Dalton was the MOP of the World Series that year in Columbus, Georgia. And then they opened up the next season 30 wins in a row. That's the uh, D1 streak, Arizona, 47 straight. Speaking of Arizona, good segue, Beth. Thanks for leading me right into my stat. It's coming from Arizona. In conference, Arizona as a team has scored 143 runs. How many have they given up? 14. So crazy in the fact that they're scoring so many runs and their pitchers are doing a great job in the circle with their defense and giving up very few runs. Michelle, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to go. I'm actually surprised that nobody stole this in the, um, the maybe the mid-majors or small school love. ULL, I'm going to go with uh, Summer Ellison, who has just been outstanding for them. She's got a 29-4 and four record, 199 innings pitched, a whip under one, an ERA just barely over one, but Ladies, listen to this, uh, and Jimmy Softball. Um, <laughs> 200, 258 Ks Ooh. on the season to just 39 base on balls. So she's getting it done. Nice. Yeah, getting it done for Louisiana. Jimmy, what's up? All right, I'm going to go with Oklahoma because this is going to be a fun little game, okay? Uh, Oklahoma right now, batting average for a team, 397. You know what that ranks in NCA? One. 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 Yep, on base percentage. Uh, 456. You know what that ranks One. in NCAA? One. One. Eight runs per game. You know what that ranks? One. One. Fielding percentage, 0.987. You know what that ranks? One. That's one. Slugging percentage? Six. One. Yeah. One. Win-loss, win, win <laughs> 38 and two, which is a 0.95. You know what that ranks? One. One. All right. ERA, 1.21. You know what that ranks? One. Oh, Why? wrong. Two. That's- <laughs> oh, what a bunch of slackers. <laughs> so uh, I think any stat we talk about really has to be talked about in terms of Oklahoma. Kayla? Nice. Wow, it's going to be hard to follow that one, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> I just got back from – I just got back from the presentation. Like we talked about, and I just – 
got to watch Abby Cheek play, and we haven't talked about her this year, but she right now is just crushing it. She's batting 462, which is sixth in the country. She got 16 home runs, which is in the top 10, and then a 622 on base percentage. So talk about power and consistency, Abby Cheek, and that's yeah. second in the country in on base percentage. 622. Do you know how tough of an out that is? It's crazy. Nice. Especially for a power hitter. So I'm saying. Power hitter. Yeah. Yes. yes. I, I almost that was almost going to be my shag and stack because that's exactly what I thought. It's so impressive. That's awesome. Nice. By the way, is the SEC Player of the Year race right now Abby Cheek and Shamaya Sanchez? Uh, yeah, I think. And so. Sarah Cornell just tossing out a few names there. Yeah. When you look at conference only. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very interesting. Very interesting. Got to put Amanda Lorenz probably in that on that short list as well. But that's going to be fun moving forward. That was Shaggin' Stats. Um, all right. We're down to number nine, I think, right? Down to the bottom of the lineup. Let's turn it over with Gimme Some Jimmy. Okay. First thing I want to do is a little shout out to uh, all of our Seven Innings Podcast fans out there. Uh, I want to try a little experiment. I want to uh, – everybody that's listening to this, I want them to go on Twitter or Instagram and uh, – Tweet at us, tag friends, uh, try to get the foul train going. And uh, I want you guys to give us your best softball names. So, like we already talked about, Bigger Staff. One of my favorites, and I hope I'm saying this right, is that Louisville is uh, Celine Funk. Like, come on, you got you got to bring the funk. Beautiful. Uh, so, I want you guys to tweet at us, send us your favorite names. And uh, if you want, hashtag all name softball. Uh, and we'll get it going, see what happens. Uh, now for some questions. Uh, this is gonna, I'm just going to toss it up to all of you guys. I saw a video this week, uh, and uh, it, was, it was from a few years back. And uh, it, was, it was some softball, and they were all, you know, swinging the bats, running around the bases in their shorts. So I want to ask you guys, what is something that you wore in your past that I don't want to say you're embarrassed by, but let's say that you're glad that fashion statement went away? Uh, mine would be a floppy visor that, um, it, it is literally floppy. Like it's, I don't know what it's made of. Maybe Michelle can help me out with the material that, cause I know that she knows what I'm talking about. Are you talking about the foam one? The foam or the neoprene, the neoprene. Neoprene, neoprene. And I just, I just threw that baby back in my bat bag. The great thing is it couldn't get bent. You could pull it right back out of your bat bag, come game time and put it back on and be ready to go. So that was probably my best one. But is that something you, you, would you wear it now? Negative. No. Jimmy, do you think I would wear a floppy visor? Let's be real about this. <laughs> what else? Anybody else um, got something? Well, I, I will say the haircut, the, uh, the mullet. It's a, um, and then after that, <laughs> don't spit out your, uh, your drink there, Jimmy. But um, <laughs> uh, it would definitely be the mullet. Never should come back into style unless you maybe you're a punk rocker. Um, and then when you did grow your hair out and you wanted to use a scrunchie. Oh, the scrunchie. And it, it never kept your hair up because it wasn't strong enough. So your hair always came down. Oh, awful. Two awful things along with the visor. Unfortunately, I think I feel, I feel like I played long enough that I had all those horrible things <laughs> during my career. Oh, when I was growing up, we didn't play in pants. We played in oh, shorts. And yeah. I had those double trace knee pads, like the two knee oh, pads. And yes. you get like the suntan line where you have like a strip on your thigh, which was just tan. And then mm-hmm. everything else was just pasty. That was a terrible. And the, like the two long spandex underneath your shorts. Oh, really good look. Ouch. Really good quality 
Nothing like a softball oh. can that lasts all year. Yes, yes. I'd have to go old school and, and a couple of things that were so bad that they were actually cool. First of all, the quality of boots growing up in Syracuse, New York, we used to put Wonder Bread bags inside our boots over our socks when we would go out and play yeah. in the wintertime to keep your feet warm and, and to make sure that no moisture uh, from the snow or the slush got um, on your feet. And then we also used to wear a pair of jeans that were called tough yep. skins. And my brother wore them. Then I wore them. Then my other brother wore them. And then my other brother wore them. Not different <laughs> pairs of tough skins, the same pair of tough skins. And if it got a hole in it, just, just iron on a new patch and pass it on down to the next kid. And, and now I'm proud of the fact that we all wore the same pair of tough skins uh, at growing up and, and had the wonder bread bags in our shoes. <laughs> good times. Good, good picture in my head too, right now. Really good. Uh, vivid, vivid imagery. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, Beth, why don't you take us home? Oh, wait, d- did we hear from you, Jimmy? Uh, I may or may not have uh, tight rolled some jeans in oh, middle school boy. or uh, maybe early high school. Uh, I don't know. My little small town in West New York may have been behind the times a few years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, tight rolling the jeans is probably something that should never come back. Um, do you guys remember those shirts that changed colors when you got them wet or they got hot or cold? So if you're wearing them and you got sweaty, you could it, it oh. changed colors. You know, kind of like a mood ring shirt. Yeah, yeah. So when you got when you got when you got sweaty, they would change. That is the worst. Uh, other, you know, you definitely see some. You know, they weren't really pit stains. The the, the shirt just changed colors. Oh. And I think pit stains is a good spot to end this one. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Seven Innings Podcast. Uh, remember to give us a follow at Seven Innings Podcast and send us your questions. Uh, we love to answer from you, the fans, and we are getting ever so close. Uh, is the next time next week our last show? Are, are we are we officially into mayhem next Wednesday? What's the date on that? It is. It will be May first, I believe. Oh, it will be mayhem. The next time we talk to you, Love it. the mayhem will be underway. Thanks for joining us on the Seven Innings Podcast. Jimmy Softball, BMO Bro, Cool Cat with the Bat, Scarborough, Smitty, and Doza, and we will see you somewhere on the road to the Women's College World Series.